Hey gang, welcome to episode 218 of the No Proscenium Podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table. Uh, this week on the show, we have Julia Henning, creative director of the Halogen Company, uh, also uh, one of the uh, familiar faces on the acting scene here in immersive Los Angeles. Uh, she's currently playing the character 13 in House of Creep. Um, when we recorded this, uh, Julia had uh, had lost her voice, um, so um, uh, she, it, it's... Uh, she, you're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear it. So just, just once you know, that's that's what's coming. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's just, I actually felt bad for her that we kept on going, but we kept on going. Um, more on the episode in a moment. Um, yes, two days, two days, two days ago, I signed the contract for the venue for the summit that will be here next year um we're going through the final pr vetting uh gotta you know when there's 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 ways one has to talk about things um so again uh this i'm on the verge of being able to tell you exactly what's going on and um if everything works out the way it's supposed to uh i don't want (laughs) i don't want to jinx myself on on a day but um, don't be surprised when you see the official announcement as you know, next week, I mean, be, be happy, right? but you shouldn't be surprised. Um, all right. So that's, what's going on. Um, uh, <laughs> desperately want to tell you what's happening. Uh, the ink is dried. Um, like it's, it's, it's happening just, you know, you know how it goes. Uh, Got to say things a certain way, and this is how everyone wants. So you know. Um, so yeah, that's what's up. Um, I'm very, 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 very excited about how it's all gonna pull together. So, like, all I want to do is tell you about that right now, which is why I'm doing this horrible tease. Trust me, it's worse for me than it is for you. I'm gonna guarantee you that right now, because uh, this the, the plans come together. Uh, as it was meant to, uh, and, uh, and this has been the plan for months. Um, so I'm just, I'm completely excited about, uh, what we're going to be able to do, uh, next and all the things we're going to get a chance to announce to you over the next few weeks as we keep building things out. Um, all right. None of this time, uh, that we have together um, none of the things that we've been doing of late, me, me running up to Vancouver uh, next week when we go to WOW, um, the alt-delete talkback that we did that we released as a bonus episode of the podcast, which you can find on the Patreon feed um, for free. We, we did not put it behind the paywall. Uh, all of these things, um, they are coming to you because of our generous Patreon backers. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Um, our latest backers are Raniki Rods, 
Charlie Galley, Mark Goodman, Madison Rhodes. Got increased pledges from Juliana, Stephanie Reyes, and Ben Smolin. Uh, we are up to 278 backers and just $2 shy of $1,600 a month. Um, we need to be pulling in about $5,000 a month uh, in order to make this work. And you definitely got asks out there uh, for a big sponsorship. Um, for people to lay down some structural integrity for us. Uh, but I think if you, if you look around the world and you see what's going on with media operations right now, um, you know, Splinter News just got folded. Um, at the end of the day, it is only the people who want the publications to exist that make it possible for them to exist. No one is coming to save us. Uh, if you want this stuff to exist, we have to put in the effort. All we ask is the $5 a month. That's what the ask is now. There's still a dollar level. Any Anything helps. So even gets to cut a dollar. It really helps. We ask the $5 a month. It's 16 cents a day when you do the math. And if everyone, if everyone who came around every day uh, did that, uh, we'd, we'd be doing good. We'd be doing, we'd be where we need to be and we'd be on our way to where we should be. And that's what I want to keep an eye on where we should be and not just where we need to be. I despise doing this part of the podcast. I do not. I like saying the names of the people who like give us the money. Uh, cause I, I, I literally can't eat without you. Uh, I despise this part. I don't enjoy it. Um, because I just want to focus on the work. Uh, I want to focus on the work we're doing. I want to focus on the work those of you in the creative community you're doing. And I want to focus on the work that those of you uh, who are in the fan community want to see. Um, that's what it's all about. So patreon.com slash no proscenium, $5, 16 cents a day, 16 cents a day makes all the difference in the world. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F. Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, and Sam, Kin- Sam Kinkin and Samuel Mustry. We've got a lot of people who are, who are reaching deep to keep us going. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, what I'm hoping is that we get just a lot more people reaching not so deep um, to help us become what we need to be. Because I've seen the future and it will be. I've seen the future and it works. Um, and I can't wait till we get there. All right. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was quoting a Prince song uh, <laughs> from the Batman soundtrack because I'm a nerd. All right. Uh, in time, everything makes sense. Okay. So um, it says here in my notes, show setup. What can we say about Julia Henning uh, that, that isn't going to happen during the podcast? Not too much. So for those of you who don't know her, she's an amazing performer. Um, just one of those super generous performers uh, who really grounds you into the experience, the the kind of performer that LA um, specializes in, in attracting. And one day I hope to say is will be our gift to the immersive world as, as these folks um, you know, become embedded in the firmament here. Um, we're going to get into how she got into it, uh, what she's doing now, her company, Halogen Company, which did some great work at the Immersive Invitational that happened earlier this year. And yeah, uh, all of that. So let's get into this interview 
and I'll talk to you on the other side. Julia, thank you for coming over to the to the studio slash apartment. Um, Love it. I'm so happy to be here. I've heard so many good things. <laughs> <laughs> I really have. Oh, that's great. Um, it's like, it's messy, but cute. Uh, no, everyone's like, we had a really great conversation. I'm like, mm-hmm, I want to get in that. I want to get on that. I'm <laughs> well, sorry. And, and you've, you, you're in the middle of uh, House of Creep right now. So that's why your voice is a little hoarse because you've been... You've been uh, uh, destroying people's souls or something like that? Is Pretty how- much. So if you come into House of Creep, you'll find me uh, chained up in the beginning, um, basically talking to up to 30 people every hour, giving them a little uh, soul reading, if you will. But then if you catch me later on in the show, I'm usually screaming and crying, trying to uh, escape. You'll know what I mean if you come and see the show. But uh, I'm giving a lot every hour, so my voice is definitely taking a little toll, but... We're doing everything we can to make sure that that doesn't happen uh, as we have 168 shows to go. Are you in all of them this year? Every cuz you're 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 kind of you're kind of iconic for it this time. Like there's the, you play you play a particularly a key character in the experience and you're also you're in some of the marketing. So Yeah, that was actually um I wasn't expecting that. Um you know when you kind of get enlisted as a creep, everybody sort of brings such a unique personality to the table you don't think that anybody essentially stands out but um yeah I don't know if it's my look and kind of the crazy eyes that they gave me or sort of what I'm doing in the show but um yeah I'm in every show and uh they definitely decided to put number 13's talents more out on the table as me being out in the beginning of the show was a very last minute addition um but I think that everybody sort of came out wanting a moment with number 13 and so I'm happy to uh give the audience what they want so that's something that's even evolved since because we our team got to see uh one of the earlier rehearsals because we went with the video squad because we want to capture some stuff mm-hmm. so stuff has changed since since then even yeah yeah uh, that's that's the interesting thing about like the the the, the way this work evolves mm-hmm. um and so we've, we've got a lot to talk about today we got creep we've got we've got your company mm-hmm. which is halogen company mm-hmm. uh, and you've done you've done both uh, a couple of pieces lately and you were in that immersive intensive that mm-hmm. after hours put together so fun um and so yeah like we've got a full range. so how did you how did you wind up in in immersive because i think the the first time i think i saw you I don't think it was lust. I, uh, I think I had seen you after. Yeah, because the first time I think was uh, uh, Johnny Cycle uh, was uh, Johnny uh, Three, mm-hmm. uh, which has now been like redone into uh, the Johnny Cycle. Uh, but you originated one of the roles in that piece, and that was the first time I saw you in an immersive piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get involved in all this? So Johnny was my first piece. Um, literally days before the auditions closed for Speakeasy Society's Johnny Three. I had happened to reach out to a good friend of mine who lived in New York, and I told her I was visiting. I said, I really wanted to see Sleep No More. I got sick, lo and behold, and uh, I couldn't make it, and so I kept saying to her, you know, I don't know what immersive theater is, but I feel like I'm supposed to be a part of it. She got back to me and said, I know these two people in LA, they do immersive theater, and they're actually holding auditions. You should reach out to them. I got the last spot in the Johnny auditions. Oh, wow. Um, And mind you, I had no idea what immersive theater was. I just knew that it wasn't being on stage, and I wanted to do something involved with that. And as a creator, 
you know, you do stage, you do film, but I'm always looking for something out of the box. I like doing stuff that's weird and unique and something that most people aren't doing. So I went in, um, they kind of gave me the rubric of what the audition would be. And uh, I, um, I went in fully prepared, wore a costume, did all these things, was doing this weird body movement, and then I go in and see what other people are doing. And I kind of was doing a lot more than everybody. I was being quite extra. Um, but I think it showed. I mean, I think that they saw I had training. I understood what they were asking of me. And I really, you know, I wasn't holding anything back. So when they called me back in, you know, I was noticing that they were using a lot of what I had brought into the audition in the callbacks. Mm. So I was really impressed and sort of, you know, honored that I, w- I was getting notice from what I was bringing to the table. I get cast. I end up being um, lucky the prostitute, yeah. which ended up becoming a larger role than they had intended just because they were like, you're bringing good stuff to the table. We want to use you. Um, but I was also the all-over female um, understudy. So I had to learn every single role. Mind you, I'd never done this. I didn't know what to expect. And if anybody knows the Speakeasy Society, Chris Porter's writing, you know that it's not short no (laughs) there's a lot of text to learn there's a a lot of text and you wind up up having to learn all all i learned every single role every single track and it came in handy because i was learning what every level of immersive player was doing so the people who had more conversational the people who had more track based the people who had more activity based i got to learn how to do it all um so that was my first experience and then pretty much after the first like three weeks, I was um, I was hooked. Mm. I knew that I loved interacting with the people one on one, which I got to do right off the bat. I had a one off. Yeah. Which you know, you notice that some people get to handle groups. You notice the people who get to handle a full room, three to four people. The people who get to um, do a scene with another actor. I didn't really have any of that. I had to take one person every night. By myself, no matter what scene you had, I was... That's not me coughing, by yeah. the way. There's another uh, dry, dry mouth in the, in the house. Um, no, but it, it was interesting because I got to see, on my first experience, what the impact of immersive theater was. Mm. And that was someone looking me in the eyes, tearing up every time, and then walking away with me knowing that I had the power to affect their emotions in less than five minutes. That's not something you get in film. That's not something you get in a, a normal play, you know, a, a proscenium type play. Um, and for me, I mean, I, I, if anyone knows, if you don't know me, I, uh, I'm a graduate student getting my psychology master's. I was a philosophy student in school. I got my bachelor's in acting, sure, but my whole MO is the human condition. I live to feel feelings and to um, impact other people's emotional experience. I think it's what I'm good at. I think it's why now after three years of doing this, I often get cast as, you know, reading people because I, that's, I, I know how to do it. Yeah. Um, and that was my first taste of how do you read the room and adjust your performance for the person you're talking to. How does your, your, your background in philosophy and your, your, your master's quest in psychology, how does that impact that ability to read and your approach to you know, making the work, right? Cause you, that means there's an intellectual pursuit going on to it. There's, there's something about like reading, reading room is a, it's a skill. It's a skill. And a talent that, I mean. It can't be taught. No. 
And it's funny when you watch <laughs> immersive directors or creators try to teach that to people. It doesn't work. I mean, you really sort of have to fine tune um, character traits and immersive um, activities that enable people who don't necessarily have that inherent skill to to foster that. Yeah. For me as an actor, I know the minute, not even that, the second that I look you in the eyes, I know what you're going to bring to me. I can tell instantly if you're nervous, if you're afraid. I can tell by your body language if you want me to give you more and to sort of lay it on thick. I can tell if your eyes shift, if your body clenches, if your jaw goes tight, if you want me to give you a little bit of space. So I know immediately as a psychology student and you know lover that your your energy feeds my energy Mm -hmm. um as a philosophy major i think that kind of ties into how much i ad lib you know we always get liberty from the creator the director the writer you know stick to script but if you have time you have to vamp or you know if somebody really wants more what 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 is ethical and what is appropriate to give to that individual audience member so i think my Background in both enables how much I can play as an actor. As a creator, intellectually, that's what drives all my material. I think the Halogen Company, despite us being new, stands out for being one of the only companies whose material is so rooted in psychological elements and psychological concepts. We are conceptualizing ideas. We are personifying terms so, you know, we, we, we do a lot of work in life and death. Um, you know, we did a show where we personified the seven deadly sins. We're doing a new show that quite literally personifies life and death. And I won't go deep into it, but Eric Erickson's eight stages of life, the concept of what you learn in each stage of life mm. was a writing model that we thought would be an excellent way to create an anthology series. In each chapter, you're meeting ego and id you're meeting fear and courage and i think it's important that people leave immersive theater yes being entertained but being educated and i think that that's a thing that we stand out for the halogen company and my background serves us in that i want you to walk away from our shows with the type of self-reflection that you don't just leave with entertainment you leave asking questions. Mm. You leave feeling like you got a mini therapy session, which I think if you're going to pay up to 35 to $80 for something, you're going to drive 20 minutes out of your way. Sure, I think entertaining storylines and beautiful settings and giveaways are fun, but I think it's more important to say, what did you personally get out of the experience? You use the term like mini therapy session. I think I know that it's, it's often d- debated in in mm. in our our world, you know, with where where some of the, the lines around uh, the the ethics of, of treating this stuff like therapy, mm. or that people might be coming looking for something um, more look, looking for something more than a show. It might be something more than the performers you know, could give. I was mm. having a conversation the other night uh, with Amber Justman uh, mm. about. Uh, about vulnerability because uh, I had seen uh, bedroom play uh, Kate mm-hmm. Lane, you know, mm-hmm. Kate's, Kate's amazing. Love her. And Kate, Kate 
is such a vulnerable performer mm-hmm. and gives so much in the moment. And if you can meet and, and, and that's one of the ways she signals to like get you to meet her there. Right. And so like if you're if you're playing with Kate uh, in, in sort of the way uh, that, it, that it works best is that her vulnerability is there to trigger your vulnerability exactly. and let you know you're somewhere safe and kind of can slip into it. And then you create something. But uh, you're, you're still creating something that's ex- exterior to both of you. So uh, there's still the structure of performance, sure. but it is an act of co-creation. Sure. Um, uh, <coughs> but then, then I know there's folks who you know, look to be pushed psychologically or folks who even kind of want to, um, who, who, who feel like it's, it's, is their job to like, you know, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this out of sure. uh, a, a, a participant in the way that some directors might want to pull things out of a, a performer. So, um, and, and definitely when there's folks who might not have a psychology background coming into that sort of space. Well, it's interesting that you say that, um, especially with Kate, I worked with her this summer on our show one exit and (laughs) she's the type of performer not to call her out who was very doubtful of what she was bringing to the table. And it was interesting that she actually stood out to us on the team as being the most relatable, the person that we could say, don't worry about the confines and the structure and the limitations. What you're naturally bringing to the table is what we're asking for. And I think to kind of touch on the mini therapy session, it's not my job for you to feel like we're there to fix you Mm. or to call you out. I think it's my job with my skill set to say, did you feel seen? Mm. And in immersive theater, the thing that I find people are sometimes really good at and sometimes people are really straying away from is what is the role of the audience member? For me, the role of the audience member is to feel connected, is to feel seen, is to feel a part of things. The way that I like to play with that is, do you get a chance to talk about you? Often you can be a voyeur and simply watch. You can be a part of the action and play physically or you know, adhere to the puzzles of, of, the, of the piece. Or you can simply just answer, yes, no. I'm going to repeat what you're asking me to repeat. But what I want to do is say, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? Did you get a moment where you felt your opinion and your observations were necessary to the story? Mm. And I think that those are the moments that people walk out of being like, oh, damn, I, I mattered in this. I had a say. I had a moment of self-reflection I wasn't expecting. And I think often, you know, I have to be careful. I'm not there to call anyone out. I'm not there to, you know, unethically or ethically serve as someone's therapist. I just think that we're drawing up ideas and concepts that you're thinking about subconsciously all the time. Yeah. We're just bringing them to the forefront and saying, what's your opinion? Yeah. And I think that that vulnerability is the thing that people don't expect when they come in and out of our shows is, you know, I'm following the storyline. I'm having fun. I'm listening to what you're telling me, but you just asked me something where I have to think. Yeah. And I think that that's what stands out is, is allowing the audience to be just as vulnerable as the actors are. Yeah, I think I think something that this form because we talk a lot about audience having agency, and agency implies a degree of being. Um, and well, I mean, antagonists have agency as well as protagonists. But this idea that you have agency, this idea that um, you know, to do that and make it satisfying, you have to challenge folks, right? And like in an escape room, it's easy. We challenge them with a puzzle. Sure. Um, in drama, you know, you challenge a character usually with an ethical dilemma, mm-hmm. right? Like. Um, here's, here's something that 
here's a choice that's going to have consequences. And for me, always like the most satisfying drama. And I'm not talking melodrama. Like sure. melodrama is different. And I love melodrama. And we all know. We, <laughs> we all, all know. I love <laughs> melodrama. There's a lightsaber over here. There's nothing more melodramatic than that stuff. But f- for me, you know, when I think about um, a truly satisfying drama, um, you get those. You get characters into moral quandaries, mm. and you get you get characters into a place place where there are no clean answers. It's not good versus evil. It's it's um, you know the lesser of two evils or um, you know, what, what principle matters more. And I feel like that's something that people don't play with necessarily enough. And, and, and particularly like it's, it's easier to kind of give some folks a a choice that, um, is, is binary and might make them like feel really great for, but God to like torture folks with, all right, well, here's these two really kind of bad, like, like, you know, if you do this, this happens. If you do that, that happens. Like someone, someone's, someone's going to lose. Right. You know, like zero sum gaming it. Um, uh, that I feel also can lead to like endless, endless debate. Like, what did you choose? Right. I see a lot of people like put choices out into stuff and it's like, it seems sometimes it seems like an easy choice, you know, like, um, and and I'm kind of longing for, I'm longing for someone to make me ag- well, someone to make me agonize over it, you know, sure. like, like, oh, yeah, no, if we do this, then that, but if we do that, then, uh, yeah, I'm looking for mess. I want a mess. That's really interesting you bring that up because, I've got two things to say on that. One, the thing I notice in immersive theater, especially with the whole choose, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna say it in the whole choose your own adventure setting. That can be troublesome yeah. because especially the way that it's used in immersive theater, it tends to be in a more open world setting. And you kind of forget that if you give too much choice, you have to make sure that the consequences and whatever path they choose is backed up with enough material, evidence, and consequences. I think that's something that we're all sort of struggling with is here's two really intense, fun, exciting choices but the payoff kind of falls short. Yeah. I don't personally in the halogen company, something we're working on for next year, this anthology series, it's called a sea of odds. The structure's loosely based on the odyssey, but it's cut up into chapters where, and I'm not going to give away anything to do with story, but what I can tell you is there's crisis and there's a task in each chapter to go back on the Eric Erickson. If anyone knows anything about him, he, through each stage of your life, there's a different crisis that we face and a result. So the first one is between infancy to like 18 months, I think, you're faced with trust and mistrust. Mm. Your parents, they have to touch you. They have to provide for you. If you don't get that attention, you develop mistrust, yeah. which kind of screws you over for yeah. the next few phases. But if you get that attention, well, there's, there's a whole there's a whole area there. There's a whole area. Of, yeah. Oh God, we'll, we'll, where does we'll this come, lead you? We'll come back to that in a second. 100. I had, I had um, a cool conversation last night about something, so we'll come back to that. 100. Yeah. We'll pin yeah. it. Um, but essentially, why I was so attracted to this was, it's such a vague arena of choices and things that happen that lead to these very crucial virtues. You develop the virtue of hope. Mm. When you develop trust, you also develop the virtue of doubt if you develop mistrust. So what are activities and what are things that happen in our daily lives that 
lead us down the path of trust or mistrust. In the immersive theater realm, us coming up with ways in 12 to 15 minutes for you to feel like you either trust or mistrust this character is really, really complex, really, really vague, and really, really minute. Oh, yeah. I mean, buy-in buy in is hard. Like, I think... I think it's it's probably the hard, particularly in in a short period of time, mm-hmm. like to be to be emotionally invested and and but weirdly enough, sometimes it does work, right? Like I I don't know, I don't know precisely why. Say in in in, in then she fell. If you're on a certain track, like the, one of the second thing that happens to you is you're just asked if you'd like to if you like to have some tea, and somehow that becomes a buy-in partly because mm. you know you're in Alice in Wonderland, you sure. know, you're going to the tea party, uh, partly because it's being offered to you. Right. You know, even though there's only one choice is to say yes, because otherwise, well, then you just, your show's over. Um, or there, it's going to happen anyway. So mm. you might, you might as well say yes. Sure. But, um, this idea of, you know, how to, how to get, how to get the audience to buy in to care about a character. I, sometimes I think it's cheesy as hell, but I do think about, you know, like, save the cat like the the Blake mm. Snyder you know like series it's like you know this idea of like in the first few minutes of the screenplay even if it's like a completely awful like like a kind of an anti-hero lead you see them do something kind of decent sure. and because of that you're like oh cool and and how you you do that when the audience is a is a source of agency right like how do you give them that sense of you know oh you 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 could but particularly if you're not going to just do a raw sandbox and uh, you're you're not just going to have things ping ponging ball balling off each other as mm-hmm. if it was a LARP, right? Where it's this all character based stuff. So yeah, how do you how do you get someone to like, you know, buy into buy into the dilemma fast enough? Make it personal. Yeah. Bring up. Well, okay, it's hard because I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so I can tell you that in December and January we are starting our big marketing campaign for Sea of Odds with what we're calling The Call. You will get access to a phone number. You call that phone number and you overhear a conversation between two of our main characters. Mm. You get a little bit of exposition as to what what world you're stepping into, what the dilemma is. But then there's a moment where uh, something personal might happen. You might hear something about someone you know. You might get a chance to... uh, provide us some information about someone you care about, in which case the stakes are raised, you're a part of the story, and now whoever that person might be to you becomes part of the dilemma. Mm. Now this is all to say, you know, whether that model works, whether we go in that direction, the way we're making it personal is you're on a journey to essentially save someone you care about. Mm. Um, and with, and that, that, that doesn't give anything away because there's a lot that goes into what that means, but essentially it's it's being faced with the hero's call. Yeah. You have to answer the call. Yeah. But then also you have to find out what makes them a hero. And that's that's I can't say why what makes you the hero in the story, but essentially the way that we're gonna play it is um you should feel when you come into chapter one after the call that uh that, that you're there for for good reason. Yeah. Um but again, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it, it's it's definitely something I think in immersive we all kind of get lost on is, you know, we have to make it personal. It has to be about you. We want you to be drawn in. But 
we have a limited time for yeah. you to, to care. And not only that, we have a limited time for you to, to, to go on that journey without a lot of outside factors weighing in. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. No, and sometimes, I mean, I, I think about, I think about the way the, the Johnny, uh, the, the, the whole Johnny project's mm. been and, you know, by them endowing you and, and in some ways it was strongest in the, the, the first, uh, piece, because uh, like the ratio, the ratio to audience performers was like a little tighter, mm. uh, and they've you've know, scaled up over time, and so it still it still works. But like some of the, it's hard. Like this is one of the things. Like scaling up is is hard, but the fact that you're always, you know, every character in that show is relating to you as if you were a specific person. Sure. And that person, that specific person, is multifaceted because you know we all have different facets in our lives and who we are with anyone you know, our relationships with people are different and it brings out different sides of us and so you kind of the fun kaleidoscope thing in there is like you're getting to see all these aspects of this person that quotes you are mm -hmm. and in that kind of like with any acting role like my johnny would be different from your johnny 100%. the way that like our hamlets would be different from each other sure. right um but we're a lot. We're invited to inhabit a role, mm. um, and then kind of find ourselves th through that role, and 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 kind of prescribed that role um, in a specific way. I mean, it's funny because, like, you know, I think about I think about it from acting standpoint. I think about it from a LARPing standpoint. Um, and in LARP, you have a lot more usually a lot more freedom to define your role. But there's also the fact that. Um, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of LARPs where you're handed a character. It's like this is who, like, oftentimes in particularly in um, convention LARPs, like the LARP right has designed a scenario, and the scenario requires specific character types. So it's like, you know, mm. you're the heiress, and and I'm the scallywag, right? And like, we have a certain set of traits, we have some objectives, uh, and we have a broad role we're supposed to fill. But like. It, the, the playing becomes the how. Like, how did we play the scallywag or the heiress, right? Um, it's so hard because as we're talking about this, <laughs> it, it makes me want to say so much more about what we're doing. Don't. I will say this, though. It's not a spoiler, but maybe it, it kind of leads into what I was saying before, which was the idea of sort of saying to the audience member, this is who you're going to be. Yeah. We wanted to lean into that mm. while also saying... No, no, it's good. I mean, there's a way to say it in a way that I think will entice people that what what would happen if when you walk into an immersive show, the actors ask you, who do you want to be? And sort of you get the opportunity as the audience member to make it personal in that you are told in the beginning, this is who you are inhabiting the world. This is the journey we're asking you to go on. Yeah. But what happens when we say, but what are your stats? Yeah. How do we address you? What's your strength and what's your weakness? And what if throughout this entire series, we remember that and we know that and you come in playing that character in every chapter specific to all the things you want to be. You know who you are in this world. You know if you're a hero, if you're a villain, you know what you are. You know your archetype. But what happens when we give you the liberty to say, but what's your name? Yeah. How are you addressed? That's something I haven't seen happen yet. Yeah. Um, and I guess I did just kind of give it away. But essentially, in Sea of Odds, we wanted to play with the idea of giving the guest the opportunity to say, you get to walk into this room, let's say, as a nurse, 
but what's your name? Mm. And what are you good at? And what's your skill? Kind of leaning into what you're saying is, how did you inhabit this role that we gave you? Yeah. And making it a little bit more clear and giving the guests a little bit more of an opportunity to say, here's my active involvement in this. Yeah. So we'll see how it plays. Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think there's definitely, I mean, obviously I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be mined in a lot of territory that hasn't been, hasn't been explored as aggressively as it, as it could be explored. Totally. So like that's, it's exciting to hear that you're, you're, you're running those directions. I'm, I'm, it's funny cause like, you know, like I, I, follow you enough on social media that like I know I, I knew you were doing your grad work and for a minute I thought you were like going to be stepping away from the, <laughs> the creative side uh and yet you know then you you're, you're pushing on halogen again and you're you're in a bunch of shows and so are are it was it more just a matter of like you know you thought you were out and they pulled you back in or has is this is this becoming like a, a calling like where where are you at in in that journey? In that journey, um, so I'll, excuse me. When I decided to go to grad school, I was doing a Shakespeare show. I was in Twelfth Night, and uh, first time in my life that I worked with a director, who I just had a weird feeling about. Mm. Just somebody who I think had really great ideas, but wasn't um, executing them properly. Um, I quit the show. Never done that before in my whole life. And on the way home, I was on the 101, and I just thought, you know, I had that moment I think everybody has when they're in L.A., especially as an artist. And, you know, mind me if I'm wrong, but it was my moment where I thought, I can't do this. I'm not meant to do this. It's not happening. I, I don't love the film world. I'm very much a theater actor, trained in theater. I moved here thinking, you know, this is the dream. This is the job. New York's not my pace. You know, I'll, I'll make it. And it wasn't happening. Um, I was doing immersive theater. I was pursuing voiceover, all these things, and I just thought, you know, it's just too much. I'm going to I'm gonna fall back on plan B. And at the time, I didn't know what that would be, and then I realized, God, you know, I, I studied philosophy. I was be training to become a life coach. Everybody calls me for advice, which I always find funny because I'm constantly the one in drama. Um, <laughs> but I think that comes from... I don't know from, what that's like at all. Yeah, no, I mean, God, <laughs> you know. But I think that lends itself to the fact that I'm the type of person who, and I'll say it, and I'll say it once, I don't live a mundane life. I mm. never have. Um, I've always been the one who, you know, left the nest or did what my friends weren't doing or tried something risky or, you know, said yes to love after so many heartbreaks. It's just, I, I, I live in extremes. And the next extreme came where it was like, you know, I'll get a nine to five day job and I'll pay the bills and, you know, maybe I'll move back to the Midwest and I'll have that life. And I thought, well, I don't have any skills. What am I going to do? Psychology was the next best thing. So I thought grad school. I'll apply to Pepperdine University. And behold, I got in. And then as soon as I got into grad school and I started psychology, I got a role in Theater Macabre, Darren mm -hmm. Bowsman's um, Halloween show. And I just was reminded I love it. Um, you know, that show was chaos and I just was reminded again, like I, this is what I meant to do. You know, I knew how to facilitate things that weren't even in my, you know, jurisdiction. I, I was helping in, in scenes. I was helping coach. I was acting. I was, you know, doing so many things in that show that was a reminder of, you know, this, this is what you are meant to do. Yeah. Um, and then you wound up, you wound up like 
uh, taking on a position at the Willows in mm-hmm. one of the remounts. Well, what's funny, the holidays happened. I started school, and I had sent an audition tape in for JFI, not really knowing anything about it other than that the Willows was a show to see. I had never seen it. I didn't know anything about JFI, never seen a creep show. And uh, they met with me and said, your range is in- in- insane. You're clearly a-, a talented actor, but we're not casting we do, however, think that you'd be a great addition as a director. Um, we'd love for you to come on as an assistant director and sort of us pass the show on to you. Mind you, I'd only directed about three things at that point. Um, you know, I didn't know what they knew about my producing, directing background, but something clicked. I came on board, and then I started school. First semester of school, <laughs> I'm taking on two classes. I'm now assistant directing slash taking over this entire you know, juggernaut of a show, and I'm still auditioning for acting roles, voiceover roles, immersive stuff. Anyone who knows me knows it's the running joke, how the hell do you do so much stuff? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, yeah. I really don't. Um, I just sort of say yes, and the pieces fall into place, but the, the Willows was a good experience of me realizing I do like creating, I am a strong director, and I believe that I have a knack for producing. Um, Mind you, I was younger than everybody in the Willows. So to kind of come on as an authoritative role and say, I'm going to take over for Justin Fix, who, if anyone knows Justin, had never happened before. Um, Just the grace and the trust that he gave me gave me the courage and the strength to say, you know, the Halogen Company was something I had done last year, it sort of fell short at certain points. I wasn't sure what I was doing with it. We were doing workshops and all these things, and it just sort of realized, you know, nobody saw the immersive show. Well, a few people saw the immersive show that we did in the fall, um, Shut Up and Sit Down. We didn't market it. We didn't reach out to anybody. We just needed to see if we could do it. Right. After doing The Willows and school and realizing, I can juggle things a lot better than I thought I could, um, the, the itch to sort of activate Halogen Company started up again. We started pre-production for One Exit. It sort of became a conversation, something I wasn't sure if I really wanted to do. And The Willows, I mean, it took up a lot of time. School took up a lot of time. And at that point, I was pretty drained, pretty overwrought, wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. Um, You know, missed out on a lot of acting opportunities. Because of it, nothing I regretted. But by the end of The Willows, I sort of said, I think I need a break. I need to focus on acting. I'm not going to do any producing or directing. (laughs) And then my uh, beautiful partner, <laughs> Julia Farrell, who's uh, rooted in Chicago, goes, if we don't do this show, the halogen's going to fall off the map. And that kind of sat with me, and I couldn't shake it. And then I called my advisor. I got through another semester of school, two semesters down, and I called my advisor and said, I can't do a summer session. I'm going to focus on work. Um, and in four and a half weeks, four and a half weeks, we wrote produced, rehearsed, directed the entirety of One Exit. And I truly don't know how we did it. Truly no idea. And I say this because if you saw what the room that we used looked like, Mm -hmm. anybody who walked in, including the actors, I think were thinking, what the hell are we a part of? You know, is this going to work? We were very, very DIY. You know, I was doing a piece that I really had no idea was going to succeed or not. You know, I hadn't seen anybody try what we were doing. I knew that we were going to get compared to things like, 
you know, any type of Halloween, immersive, creepy, well-lit show was going to be. Um, but it just sort of said, you know, the timing was right. The activation was there. I had a insanely talented team behind me. Yeah. I mean, but Ryan Doner, our technical director, who works for companies like JFI, you know, he and I bonded at the Willows and we sort of knew we were going to work together the rest of our lives. Julia Farrell, our, you know, dramaturg and my creative partner, just her ability to sort of bring in all the details. Um, you know, we had Stephanie Delazari, our wonderful artist who also serves for JFI as well. You know, all these people, I mean, the actors, it goes without saying, we had the MVP of the immersive yeah. community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kate, you had we James Kate, Cowan, James, you had Aaron I mean, Lyons. Like you had, you had a... You saw the, yeah. the, the, the high players from every team. And that just yeah. goes to say, you know, that was a note on my friendship with everybody. I think the biggest thing, and again, to kind of tie this all together, was I knew that if I didn't do it now, it wasn't going to happen. I had faith that if I was going to gamble one more thing, it was going to be a show that I put my name and my heart and my soul into. And I trusted the team and said, if you guys believe that we can make this happen, knowing that I have you know very little energy, then we're going to do it. Um, it was a testament to the fact that with every company that I've worked with, it was imperative that I made connections and friendships that showed people that I'm here as a professional for the work, but that this work inevitably bonds us in a way that if you allow it to, it doesn't matter the content, it doesn't matter the scope, it doesn't matter the budget, mm. we're making something that matters. Yeah. And that was sort of what got everybody on board, I think, in such a short amount of time to say, I know you don't really know what's going on, I'm sure the layout of this piece is a little convoluted. I know we're doing this in such a short amount of time, but this piece has the ability to make people feel affected and seen. And as actors, I worked with them very specifically on one exit to say, this is what might come up with the people in the room. You might encounter, because we had you guys writing down really personal stuff. Mm. I mean, some of the stuff was, you know, what would you do to somebody if you had the chance based off rage and wrath? I mean, we had people write stuff down that was shocking i mean we're in the back I'm, I'm reading everybody's cue cards a little weary of what to add to that escape room element because you don't want people to feel too exposed that they right. might mutilate somebody because they're that upset which we had but i had to work with the actors and say at the same time after coming off the willows in this directorial standpoint and my education in psychology and sort of prep them for these different emotional outcomes you know, they weren't expecting that as actors. They thought we're going to rehearse, we're going to run these things. But what I had them do was look at your scene partner and for five minutes, you have to keep eye contact. You have to be comfortable looking someone in the eye and dealing with whatever comes up. I'm looking at Noah in the eyes right now just for him to have a sense of what that was. Yeah. You have to be grounded and comfortable and secure enough in yourself to deal with these emotional things that might come up for other people. And I found a lot of people, especially the actors, were pretty triggered by that. They weren't expecting this sort of psychologically inducing emotional work as well as such a short, um, you know, intense rehearsal process. So yeah. kind of tie up everything that what you asked me. Um, I didn't ask for anything to happen. It sort of fell in my lap. And I'll admit, in case it helps anyone else, I have been very afraid of success mm. and very afraid of failure for many years, especially in my past four years in LA. Um, I think when people meet me, 
they kind of get this odd sense of confidence and outgoingness and secureness, which I'm not going to say is false, but I'm a very vulnerable and emotionally intense human being who very much cares about how I do something. Um, I've never been, <laughs> I've never really cared about, you know, the success of something or uh, the value or the monetary value it has. I, I care about process. Yeah. And so to sort of lean into and just say yes this year, the outcome is something I never would have expected to just sort of continue getting these opportunities to be seen. Yeah. That was a really long answer. I apologize. No. <laughs> it's hard. I'm really bad at sort of saying one thing. I, I'm thinking of so many different things at one time as, as you're a on result the, of all the psychological uh, shit going through my head. As everyone who listens to the show knows, uh, you're on the right show and you're in <laughs> common company. Um, Love it. Yeah. I mean, one thing... I th- John Hingson like turned a question around on me uh, yesterday. We were recording with him, uh, and it led to like I think a fifteen minute answer. Love uh, John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, from me, it led to a fifteen minute answer oh, from even me. Better. Yeah, that was that was that was slightly problematic. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I think I think I think everyone, I think people read the the vulnerability and the intensity. Right, and that was like obvious from the the arrival of of Lucky, or then your 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 role in Lust, um, mm. where Oof. you know you, you you got to see a lot of uh, a lot of sides of a lot of people. Uh, yeah. We'll put it that way. Which, by the way, was never scripted. That happened. Yeah, just by accident. Yeah, um, and that that whole um, yeah, just like kind of like when there's a when something functions almost like a calling you know you wind up you don't always know where it's going and you often feel like you're on the roller coaster but you cannot see what the tracks are ahead like i'm definitely having one of those days right now where Mm. it's like you know it feels like it's picking up speed and then we're like bumping up and it's like, whoa, what the hell, what the hell next? Like, like what's going to happen when I open up that email once we're done with this? Like there's, and there'll be some good and there'll be some bad and there'll be, there'll be like unexpected, you know, turns and like things. It's funny. It's like, I, I do feel like this, this work is the kind of play that is rehearsal for life. Right. Like that's one of the things that it does. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's one of the reasons why I I get excited, like the messier the work gets because of how messy life is. And Mm. that doesn't mean that sometimes I don't want, you know, clean, clean, clear, clean production, clean, 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 you know, and even like, and definitely clean. And, and even sometimes on, on a story level, sometimes sometimes I want good versus evil. Sometimes I want some some really clear. I mean, hi, I read comic books. Like sometimes you, but then what gets exciting is when you take those archetypes and you start to put them into messy places. Sure. You know, when it's like, oh yeah, I mean, Batman's a great you know simple moral drama, but I'm gonna treat it like it's the freaking wire. Like oh, wow. you know, like you get into those, and there are definitely there are definitely comic books that do that. Um, and and that's one of the things is like we're in this phase where we're still, there's a lot of the language is still being figured out. The grammar is being figured out. Just like how to do one of these things. We're finding that there's a lot of different approaches, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, that, the, the complexity, 
like sometimes it's structurally com- complex and sometimes it's you you know narratively complex and characterologically complex and like trying to like jumble all that stuff together and trying to get that that feeling of the way the way life is is sort of you know uh, well it's interesting you it's it kind of goes back to what we said about reading the room i mean it's yeah it's everything i think is always a gamble i mean to tie up what we're just talking about like i you know i i can sit here today and say this was my calling for sure mm-hmm. when i happened to just tell my friend three years ago i wanted to do immersive theater and I'm not sitting here doing an immersive podcast, th- I'm meant to be here. Um, I think we all are who choose to do this work. And I think two things. In terms of a call, you can ignore it all you want. It's going to show up. You're going to answer it, whether it's saying, mm-hmm. I don't want to take the call, or, all right, where am I going? And I think with that vulnerability and that intensity, you know, I learned personally, this is what I bring to the table. To read the room... Some are going to like it, some aren't. I'm going to make a show that some people are going to love and want to see more of, and I'm going to make a show that some people hate and don't understand. Um, and I think that's the gamble in immersive theater no matter what, that you know, you're either called to make art because you see something, you, you have to make it, whether or not it's for critical success or not, and... Here I am getting lost in a tangent again. It's it's. I think that in this in this medium, the diehard fans, the critics, the creators, the actors. I don't think any of us know why immersive theater is 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 in existence yet. I really don't. I don't think any of us are quite sure if this is the new frontier. Which I think a lot of us. I know. I I want to believe that. I want to believe that immersive theater will be the thing that people are going to for the next however years, that this is the next form of live entertainment. I know some people who think it's just having its 20 minutes, that it's going to fade, that this is sort of a cheap thrill type situation. But I think that we're all in it currently figuring out what, what, what this call is as a collective. Um, and that, that, to me, fascinates me. You know, we're all discovering where we fall in this community and what our role is and how to get ahead and what the business model is and all that stuff. But what we're all striving for is, you know, how does this work stay relevant and how does it connect us? And I think that's a call that we're all kind of on the journey of figuring out together. Um, But I think it, again, it kind of ties into what do you bring to the table? And how, how willing are you to say this matters? I mean, people, if you saw me in Lust, I played a role where I was meant to literally just look you in a mirror and say that something was about to happen and I'm here as a job. And I just was like, this doesn't matter. Mm. And I decided, what, do, <laughs> what can I do to make this moment seem like it matters. These people are naked sitting in a towel in front of me about to go be sacrificed for a cult. And how can I make this moment feel like that matters? This moment matters. And I got down on the floor and I just started thinking like, what am I being called to do right now? What am I supposed to do? And I just looked someone in the eye 
And I just started reading them. I was like, oh my God, this person is so uncomfortable. They keep shifting, they keep looking around. And so I just said what I saw. I was like, you're clearly very uncomfortable, which must mean, you know, you, I don't even remember what I said. I said something like, you're clearly very uncomfortable in your own skin if sitting here in front of me naked is making you this, you know, uh, uncomfortable and you clearly don't want to sit next to this person, which, you know, I just kind of started riffing on what I was actually seeing. I wasn't talking about their past. I wasn't reading their future. I was literally reading the present moment. Yeah. I was telling them why and how them sitting in a room with me alone, how this mattered. Because to me, it was, I get a moment to talk to a person, which I'm, I'm finding now in a lot of my roles is, is the role I play. That's kind of my archetype is I'm the intense, vulnerable one, left alone, isolated, but who, if you give a second to talk to, will show you I'm experiencing just as much pain as you are. Mm. I can stand alone, I can hold my own, but I'm experiencing just as much pain as you are. Poof. And uh, if you know me, that, that really resonates in my real life, that uh, I'm very independent. I'm often doing things alone, but if you talk to me, you'll see I care very, very deeply. Yeah, It matters. And, I, and the big thing, again, I love this because I love that you're not calling me out on this tangent again. Um, I like I, to... I would be such a hypocrite <laughs> if I called anyone out on a we tangent. We hours. Um, I think one thing I like to tie up my call here is... These are some pretty definitive statements, so, uh, you know, F me for the long run. This might come back to bite me. Oh, you know, hey, but like, uh, what's... what What's... It's yes. arc, it's journey, it's growing. It's like what you, what the way you understand the world now, uh, you better hope that you understand it differently in like a year and a half, two years, three years, right? I agree with like, that. Like, you I know, like why, why, what matters? Why live if you're not Oof. learning? Well, that goes with what I'm, how I want to wrap that question is I believe that my call in immersive theater being the medium, I think I'm here to help people figure out their call. I think as a psychologist, as a therapist, as a counselor, as a friend, as a director, as a producer, as an actor, as a player, all the things I've taken on, all these roles, it seems like the through line with me is I'm able to see you for who you are and I'm able to tell you what you subconsciously know about yourself that may guide you to make a choice. And I stand by that, that I think immersive theater was the medium in which I can do that to more people than just the people who know me. I think I have the ability in some way, and my team behind me, and I stress that my team understands this, it's what we talk about in our meetings is, how do we get people to understand themselves? And how do we highlight an opportunity for them to notice, remember, or recognize their call? And I don't think a lot of people have that ability. I'm gonna put the button on us there. Julia, how do people find, uh, I mean, obviously you're, you're in house of creep right now, but, uh, in terms of the, the larger work, how do people connect with you? So you can find the halogen company on Instagram, Facebook at the halogen co. We have our website, thehalogencompany.com, which has features of past work, pictures, videos, um, upcoming news, a little bit of our backstory stuff about our team, um, we have, if you email us at the halogen company, uh, the halogen co at gmail.com, apologies, 
Um, you can sign up to basically, or on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter, which has opportunities of stuff coming up, ways in which you can, um, you know, interact with us. Um, or you can find me on Instagram or at Space Invader Iluj. That's Space Invader A I L U J. It's my name spelled backwards. I've had it since I was 18. Don't ask. Um, but uh, yeah, we um, just to get people kind of in the know, we have the call coming up. So look out for that phone number coming at the end of the year. But we also are doing a holiday event called Yule. It serves as sort of a celebration of the immersive community, a one night only celebration event. Um, and information and invitations about that will be coming out in October. So if you are connected to us, look out in your email. If not, follow us at the Halogen Co. for updates. It's going to be a hell of a time. All right. Julia, thank you for <laughs> uh, swinging on over, neighbor. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I hope to see you in the House of Creep, maybe a little bit more. And if not, then uh, we will see you at Yule for sure. That you will. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Julia for being our guest on the show today. And you can find what she's up to by going to thehalogencompany.com. We'll have the links in the show notes. Also, you can catch her at House of Creep, which uh, has three more weeks left in its run at the Row DTLA. And uh, it's just getting so much good buzz. And I got to see uh, that uh, re- the rehearsal that we shot uh, some video at, and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too. Uh, and uh, definitely something that, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go talk to them and see if I can go check it out again. Cause, um, it's, it's fun to see how much things change and there's been so much good buzz about the show. Uh, people going back multiple times and it's just something radically different. That sound was the sound of me knocking my elbow into a lightsaber because you know, of course it was, of course. And Priscilla's laughing now, uh, just naturally, naturally how things are around here. Um, my housemate Priscilla, who is, uh, diligently working uh, under headphones uh, while we do this part of the show. Okay. So, um, it's, it's our time, uh, our time to chat for a little bit. Uh, and I, you know, the funny thing is, um, I was sort of thinking about just like the way things are at the moment and, and, um, it would be very easy for me to be pessimistic about the world, uh, as a whole, um, (laughs) politics are beyond a nightmare. And those of you who maybe follow me on social media know kind of where my politics lie, but we won't talk about that right now. Uh, politics are beyond a nightmare. Um, California, uh, is uh, part of it's on fire. Uh, some of my friends just ha- had to evacuate their house. Uh, other parts of California are having the power shut off, uh, cause, uh, in order to, um, you know, not have a giant fire up there. Uh, things are just ducky all over the planet. Um, you know, there isn't a corner of the world where something isn't going drastically wrong. And I keep thinking about what it means to have a life in the arts. Um, and, and, you know, uh, that's, that's the life we've chosen here. Um, what does it mean to have a life in the arts? What does it mean to be building infrastructure for artists? What does it mean to be trying to build uh, an institute to support uh, a, a, an emerging or, depending on your point of view, re-emerging art form? 
what does it mean to be exploring, you know, technological wonders like virtual reality? By the way, if you're at IndieKid this week, keep an eye out. Uh, the under presents is going or is going to be there and are going to be doing some fun stuff. Dasha Kittredge, a friend of the show, is going to be performing in some of uh, what they're up to this weekend. So with live performances are happening. So check that out at IndieKid. There's a, there's a tip for you. Um, what does it mean? Why do we do this? Um, should maybe all the efforts that, uh, that are being put into, you know, building a summit, taking things beyond a summit, um, building an institute, putting work into creating Leia, uh, keeping no pro going, filling out the newswire every day, um, trying to get more people to like help out, uh, particularly when there's meager resources, when, you know, humanity is in crisis as a whole. Why do this? Why not put all my efforts into, I don't know, like creating a tastier vegan milkshake or something. I mean, whatever, whatever's required. I'd use oat milk, by the way. Oh, I should, I should look into that. Has anyone made oat milk ice cream? Nevertheless, (laughs) why do this and not the other stuff? And if I was going to be melodramatic, the answer would be like, I'm not, we're done. No. Um, Culture is the point. Societies may be the vessels, but culture is the point. It's why we do what we do as a whole. As a species, it's not just about propagating. It's about what we make. Now, you go hierarchy of needs and we need to make some different things in order for us to survive. Oh, yeah. But how we make things. The way we tell stories, the kinds of stories we tell. Who tells the stories? How many of us are engaged with that? How can we even maybe move beyond the idea of a story? All of these things matter when it comes to changing a culture, changing a society, and giving us a shot at a better world. Because I get depressed a lot looking at the way the world is right now. A lot. And it's hard. And I wake up every morning thinking that something big will have given, and it hasn't. And then I go over and I help my mom out as I watch my mom decline. And then I flip open the laptop and I do the work needed. And I don't always do it as well as I could because in the back of my mind there's all these things that are happening. And there are days when I feel, when I look at, say, how hard it was for Ricky, our guest from last week and our friend, how hard it was for him to not be able to open up his show. When I see how difficult it is to get anything done, how can we be worried about a better world when we can't even make what we got in front of us work? But I have to stay focused on that. We have to stay focused on that better world, 
on the lessons that we're learning by these ways where we're honoring the fundamental ways in which we connect with each other. Where we're seeing if what we can do to bring in the most human elements into a most inhuman society. One that's increasingly driven by technology, by math, where the people are thought of last and the process is thought of first. How can we reverse that? I'm proud of things like when we get to publish what Catherine wrote this week about audience-centered design. Because when we talk about audience-centered design, our participant-centered design, we're talking about human-centered design. We're talking about putting people back in, not just to the equation, but pushing past the idea of it being an equation. This is what we are called on to do. This is the mission. And the mission matters more than anything. Look, Earth was here after the dinosaurs died out. And Earth is going to be here after we die out. So, the question becomes, what kind of world do we want to make? Everything's on the table. And when you're making culture, when you're having that discussion and that dialogue, and more than that, when you are taking different ways of being and, 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 and giving people a chance to explore that, and you're putting that in contrast with each other, and you're bringing more voices to the table and bringing more points of view so that we can push past the ways we're locked into being right now. Anyway, that's, that's, that's the work. That's the real work underlying it. We're writing to the metal. We're changing the way all of it works. Plenty of people have tuned out at this point. They're like, oh, no, it's on hippy dippy crap. Um, yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, I'm not being the most articulate I can be today. Um, but I, I also know that it is those small injunctions, those small changes, the tiny actions, the scenarios that we set up that alter everything, that alter people's behaviors, that make new ways of seeing the world possible. And because of the elements that go into designing these experiences, whenever you're making one of these experiences, you are playing with that deep magic. You're playing with those forces. Whether you want to be or not, you are. All right. That's enough. That's enough of uh, this old man's damn foolish crusade. Uh, next week on the show, uh, I don't know yet. A couple options. I got a few things in my back pocket. We'll have another bonus episode of the podcast dropping next week. Um, and indeed, uh, I'll be at uh, Without Walls uh, over in San Diego. Um, 
what is in the can right now? I gotta look at, uh, I gotta look, we have, oh, um, yeah, no, we got a couple options, uh, and we'll be gathering some more, uh, over the next week. Um, two weeks from today, I'm gonna be off, I'm taking the, the, the last two days of that week off, cause it's my birthday, uh, but I think we're gonna have a podcast, I'm pretty sure we're gonna have a podcast, we're not gonna take a bye week, uh, I don't think we have to, it might just be a short cast, uh, but we will get something up and going because there is so much going on uh, both in New York and in Los Angeles uh, that there's no reason not to have a cast. So uh, no service interruptions for a while. Uh, and yeah, let's do the credits as we do. Here we go. So, the sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Oh, speaking of which, congratulations to Genevieve and Matt on the birth of Griffin, uh, that baby we've all been waiting for for a very long time, and I look forward to meeting him soon. Um, there's something I should have let off with bury the lead why don't you um contact us with your baby announcements at no presidium.com uh no contact us uh we're at no presidium.com we're at no presidium on twitter and facebook we're at no underscore presidium on instagram which is an amazing resource for the community uh you can email us if you have show announcements at pitches at no presidium.com or follow instructions on any of our pages to hit up our air table and put things in there. Patreon.com slash no proscenium is how you support the show. And now off to go do some more stuff that needs to be done because this is what we do. I just said the word do a lot. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make the joke. You can make the joke for me. Go make it for me until next time. I'll see you at the show. <laughs> <laughs>